Guys, let me welcome you. And uh, my name is Kirk McJunkin. This is my lovely wife, Kathy, with a C, and she can tell the difference if you pronounce it with a K. And then uh, David Pinuel on her left. We're not related. We grew up in different cities, went to different schools at separate times, but he's on staff here at Watermark, does a great job working with high school kids. And he spent a lot of time with our oldest son when he was seventh, eighth grade. Is that right? And I got to tell you, I love this. This is game day for me. I absolutely love talking about the topic. I can go on forever. Uh, lots of material. I will dominate the conversation. It's just something I love to do. I'm going to do the best I can to incorporate Kathy and David. Um, you may see us compete. That's part of who we are a little bit. Uh, we're certainly not perfect as a couple. Um, Kathy and I probably struggle as much in marriage as anybody. And you could probably put us in a high-risk category. And I'll tell you more, a little bit more about that later as we move on for, for all kinds of reasons. Uh, but by God's grace, we're here. And by God's grace, um, he's allowed us to do some things well and extended to us wisdom and grace that, that's allowed us to stand in front of you and say with confidence that though we're imperfect and I can hold my hand up and say I'm a hypocrite and I've been a hypocrite with my kids and my marriage and all kinds of ways, uh, God's grace is good and extended and allowed me to have the relationship with our kids that we have and, and therefore give us a platform to share with you. So in no means would I stand in front of you and present myself as an absolute expert, as somebody who's done it all right. Um, God's used as much of my mistakes as he has the victories to make, make our boys who they are and, and, and bring, bring them along. And uh, so I want to let you know that up front so that you can, this is a safe room. You can ask any question you want about anything. And I'll try to do the best I can to give you information that would give you insight to say, hey, that's us. That's our marriage. Or, hey, that's our situation. Or that's my in-law situation in case those kind of things uh, want to come up to the Q&A at the end. I'll try to move as quickly as possible. I've given a lot of content in that, um, in that outline. I'm going to try to do it in somewhat of a story form so we can stop along the way and tell you an example of something that we did and how something worked out in real life. Um, I want to encourage you to fill that thing in with notes. I've made more notes on mine than you have on yours, so uh, as we move along, uh, that one is certainly not perfect, and I'm the kind of guy that keeps editing as I go, because even as recently as last night at 1130, I'm editing the one that's in my computer so that if God provides opportunity to do it again, the next group, it'll be a lot better than, than for this group. So, any questions? So far, anything on someone's heart that they want to say now that you want us to address, so that so we don't get going and forget it. That sometimes is useful. Good. I also have three other things for you. I don't want to forget that I want to say now. There's two letters that are actual letters that I wrote to my boys at the very stage that that this class is intended to address when they were 11 to 12. I wrote them a letter, but prior to going into middle school. I've got copies of those letters up here for you. I also have another outline uh, because I'm proud of it. Um, that's not necessarily true. 
um, on sports parenting. So I've done some things that, that, that go along with sports parenting that are directed specifically to parents that are raising kids and what I'll call activity, you know, activity-based performance stuff. So it just happened to be that people have asked me to do things on sports because of my background in sports. And so I did that and I included that outline as well. I don't have enough for every individual, but I certainly have enough for at least a couple. I mean, if, if, if there's a couple in here, just take one if you would. If not, I can get it to you electronically later. So, with that, you guys ready? Y'all worn out? It's been a good morning so far? Good. Good, good, good. David, anything? I leave out anything you can think, Kathy? I, I direct the six updates that are here at Watermark. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. You said high school earlier. Yeah, I hate high school. Excuse me. <laughs> Excuse me. I did say high school earlier. That's right. Um, and I would be. I did lead a small group of guys from junior high through high school, so I've been a volunteer for the high school ministry for four years. But I directed you. Yeah. And David. Um, David, would you come on? Yeah, fake Jones brother, right? Hey, when did you come on? When did you come on staff? Uh, 2002. Yeah. So my oldest was 12. And he would have been at sixth grade, and David started meeting with him regularly in seventh grade. So just within a year or so after, so, so uh, Kathy and I are trustees of Watermarks. So we've been here since since before the beginning. And so uh, my son, as David came on staff, and our kids were kind of the guinea pigs coming up, uh, David, David spent... Uh, uh, Breakfast, uh, what, once a week for a year? Yeah, for two years, I think, uh, with me built into Blake. So the signature of our part of the, at the bottom of the painting of our kids' lives uh, there, uh, is, is David Penuel's signature. So um, he's done a great job, and we're thankful for that. Background on who we are. Kathy from the Austin area attended Baylor, involved with youth ministry and camping for many years. Um, she's strong-willed. She struggles with following directions. She's very sanguine and people person. Loves folks. Loves meeting new people. Loves to build into them. Her preferred love language, if y'all have ever heard that, is words of encouragement. She's raised with three brothers in a home where one of her brothers comes in. Mom, I have shot myself in the leg with a 22 bullet that ran down his leg. She's in a home where he fell out of a tree. Uh, another one where his older brother hit his bike with a football or something and knocked him off and spokes or something went through him. This is a home that was very active, full of lighter injuries, very masculine home. Great preparation for, for raising boys, right? Um, Kathy is one that will catch insects and cicadas on the outside, bring them in, show them to the kids. There's not a reptile or bug out there that scares her or bothers her. And it makes great fodder for having fun with kids and boys. Great mom for raising boys. Just outstanding. Nothing bothers her. They can come in with sticks, you know, head open, anything, and mom's just fine. <laughs> Something can be stuffed up the nose, doesn't panic her. Kathy can handle that. She is, mom's a nurse, and so uh, she's just outstanding with them. I'm raised here in the Dallas area. I went to UT, played football down there, involved with youth ministry my entire time from about 1982 forward, uh, from, uh, from camping with FCA, Canacuck, youth coaching, do a lot of that, still do that, uh, private coaching lessons, that kind of thing. Uh, I have very strong personality, uh, leadership gifts. I can easily give orders. Uh, my love language is acts of service. Shouldn't surprise you. Don't necessarily like people, 
Um, I like my friends and people I've invested in, um, but I appreciate folks. That's my deal. Um, don't necessarily like meeting new ones unless they're part of what I'm trying to accomplish. That's just honest. That's just where I came from, is that in a team environment, I saw relationships through the eyes of what you did for the rest of the team. And, and I love, and you know, it, 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 I love the idea of um, 11 guys trusting each other to do something. And the emotion you see is real, but that's, that's me. But I don't necessarily, you know, if you take me out of that and put me somewhere else, I'm lost and insecure. But in a team environment, I love it. Just loved it. That's a little bit about who I am. As I said earlier, we don't have all the answers, but what we do do well as a couple is make decisions and then go forward and act, act by faith. And again, my, my sports background comes out. Once the play's called in the huddle, we're gonna, that's what we're going to run. We're not going to keep second guessing when you go to the line. It's not the time, it's not the time when you've got to pitch or you've got to make a shot or you've got to do something to second guess what you're doing. So as a couple, that's us. We're going to make a decision. We're going to act and move forward and trust the Lord that, that he's in it. We have four kids, two boys, two girls. The boy, we got bookend boys, oldest and youngest, two girls in the middle. Blake is age 19. He attends SMU. He's a football player down there. Jenna, 17, is a little person. If you don't know her or haven't seen her around Watermark, for those of you that go here, she's an achondroplastic dwarf. So that just means she has a very unsymmetrically small body, regular size head and, and, and body, but very short arms and legs. And uh, she, she is a wonderful personality, wonderful gal, but a great contrast from an older brother who's gifted with size and athletics and strength and, and, and what we hold in society as, a, as, a, as an athlete. And then you've got Jenna, Jenna behind him very different. Martha Kate's 16, um, athlete, but her gifts are in choir, and uh, very strong-willed gal, has some learning differences, and uh, that's been a struggle, but she uh, does very, very well, very smart, all grew up in public school. Bert is the last one, excuse me, he's 14 years old, uh, he's left-handed, very creative, he is uh, a lot of fun, athletic, his problem is he does a lot of things well and doesn't know what to really focus on. Uh, great people person, got a lot of Kathy's gifts. So our home is real diverse. It's real diverse. Um, you could say that as a background, we've raised them in a very active, just a very active home. They grew up uh, around ranches, horses, and cattle, and hunting, and a lot of time in West Texas on purpose. Um, we expose them to as much as we can. Uh, uh, just for the purpose of expanding and, and, and helping them learn to trust us. We did a lot of things from, uh, uh, you know, teach them to ride horses early, uh, teach them to ride four-wheelers. Um, we exposed them to, to, to livestock shows and rodeos and uh, any opportunity we could to spend time with them to, to, to grow their life experience. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. We, we jumped to that opportunity. We made those years, uh, growing up into middle school years, as a time to do that. I lost uh, um, very significant to part of our story is in 2001 after 9-11, uh, I was in the process of buying a large company from the rest of my family, and 9-11 uh, hit and impacted a, a large bonding company who you've all heard in the news. They came to me and jerked my bond and all my credit, and over the next four years, I lost a very large business, um, battling and struggling and fighting, and went from pretty high wealth to, to living month to month now and working 
uh, for God to meet our needs month to month. God's been good and provided, but during that whole time, uh, this started when Blake was about 11, he's 19 now, about a year after that, it became pretty much inevitable what, what could happen. So their dad spent a lot of time trying to stay out of bankruptcy and working out and negotiating with people to make things work without declaring bankruptcy. I had an ethical problem with that, so what are we going to do it? But uh, it's important for all you guys to know that, that part of their life experience uh, was me sitting them down and saying, guys, here's what life's going to be like for us. It's not going to be the same as it was. It's not going to be as many trips, not going to be as many rodeos, movie theaters, not many Texas OU games, not as many of this or that, because here's what it's going to look like. So we shared that with them and made sure that they understood that what was going to happen and how that was going to impact their lives. That meant we're going to be turning off lights. We're going to be doing things a lot different than maybe we did before, and we're going to ask you to share in it. We're also going to ask you to take and participate in some of the things that you want that we may have bought before that we're not going to be able to buy today. And uh, that's, that's important to know, and you'll hear a little bit more about that later, but uh, that, was, that was something we chose to do and let them know, not to scare them, but just say, hey, man, this is what's going on with mom and dad. So uh, that's important to know a little bit about us and our history. Anything else, Kathy, I left out that you can think of? Good. Prevailing family culture, Deuteronomy 6-7. Uh, that particular passage, you shall teach them diligently to your sons, shall talk with them. When you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You guys have heard that. You heard that earlier this morning. Probably heard it again in the, in the first one. Um, we're going to talk how we did that. It says there, we're active. Daring, quick to challenge fear of new activities. I've listed some of them there from doing challenges of snowmobiles. Those kids have ice fished. They've stood out. And when they were little bitty tiny, when they put so many clothes on that they, they all look like little, little power lifters standing like this, and they can't hardly put their hands to the midline of their body. But we got, you know, that was something we did. Ice fished, we horseback ride, repelled. We, we, we wanted them to, to uh, you'll see things there and cliff jumping. That kind of stuff was things we did that, that, that was part of our culture. Even Jenna participated in this stuff because for us, leading them through some of these fears and challenges laid the groundwork for the kids to trust us as parents. That we were very intentional about that. And for those of you who may have worked at Kennecook or anywhere else, you know that there's exposure to things like ropes courses and treetops courses. Part of the purpose of that is so those kids can face a fear and learn to trust somebody else's counsel and wisdom as to how to get through it. We did the same thing in our home. We did zip lines and all kinds of stuff. And Kathy at the playground when they're little kids is challenging them to do things, always, always being wise about safety. But that was something for us we felt important about. And the why is uh, we wanted to trust us knowing that the days are coming that we're in here talking about now. The very intentional with the boys. And I want you to listen to Dad and learn to trust me because I want you to trust me when you're 13 and 14. Right? So if we can do it back here and we do it well, 11, 12, you know, 19, 11, 12, then I'm hoping that and if we've done our job right, you'll trust me up here. So that, that's kind of our culture. That's kind of where we came from, and that's what we were trying to do. As it says there, this is really good. We, we work hard. Uh, we have and try and maintain high standards for the work ethic. Um, yet look and try to capture as much fun along the way as you can imagine. I'm in charge of the high, you know, the hard and high standards, and Kathy's in charge of having fun. If it was up to me, my house probably would look more like dinner at the Naval Academy or West Point. 
where people come in filed in and very orderly and sit down around their table and they eat efficiently and get up and get out. Hey, we did it in 20 minutes. You know, that's probably me. Kathy, on the other hand, looks a whole lot more something that you would enjoy. Probably more like a mixer, you know, at Baylor or somewhere, somewhere people interacting and mingling. That would be the difference in the two of us and how we may bring that together. So you can imagine that it's a good mix if, if I trust her. But if you leave me alone, that's the way I'm going to probably do it. I'm celebrating that, hey, we got this much work done today in two hours. Like, you know, like, like it's some practice. Like, you know, uh, you know that, that's me. And uh, Kathy, on the other hand, has to grab me sometimes along the way and say, we're going to make this fun. So it's been good. And we do try to make and have as much fun as we can along the way. And uh, um, that... that uh, Without her, uh, the, the kids probably would look more like toy, toy soldiers than they do uh, than they do people. The foundation, um, our goal for our kids that we stated um, about the time Blake was born was to raise morally and ethically responsible men who trust and follow Christ. So from the very beginning, we did have a goal. We're going to raise morally and ethically responsible men who trust and follow Christ. That's been our. That's been what they've been told. That's what Kathy and I are about, and that's what we tried to do. Very important to us, and guys, if you haven't, I'm going to encourage you to develop a definition of a man now. And anybody read Wild at Heart? Me with it? Show of hands. Anybody read, anybody read Raising Modern Day Night? Excellent. What do you remember about modern Raising Modern Day Night? They give you a definition in there. Yeah. Can you throw some of those out? Manhood. Yeah. What was? What would just give me some? There's four characteristics. Well, you've got. You've got them listed. Yeah. yeah. You've got three of them. And yeah. then living to expect God's great reward. Yeah. This is my. This is mine right here. Rejecting passivity, acts responsibly, acts courageously, loves unselfishly. Those were ours in our home, and even Kathy. Probably better than me when the boys come up and they've got something going on from even before we hit middle school. And Kathy can say, hey, real men, don't reject passivity. Are you being passive? Real men act courageously. I mean, this is mama looking at not dad. What's the, what, what's the right thing to do here? So I want to make sure you understand that this is not this is not something that comes from me. It's coming from us and, and and both of us. But that was real important to us. Okay, I'm not at 40. But I'm just saying we wanted them to understand what our goal was for them. We also want them to understand that hey guys, everything we do, look at them in the eye. It's going to point to this, and that's about raising. When we turn you loose, as as the as scripture describes the arrow coming off the bow, when we turn you loose, and we're going to arrange the feathers on the back of that bow so that when you leave the bow, you're flying in the direction that we aimed. This is part of it. Yeah. Do you have a four-point summary for what it means to be a woman uh, that you use the way you use the four points and what it means to be a woman? That's a great question. <laughs> there's, there's a corresponding book yeah. um, that he and his wife, I mean, uh, while at heart, Two of those that I consistently 
do with our girls. Um, no, I take it back. In some form, all four of them. We, we, we don't let our girls act passively either. Uh, what we won't let them do is call boys, initiate, that kind of stuff. We have some standards about that. Uh, we do have some great stories where little girls were calling. We discovered quickly that the boy, the girls were far more courageous about that. You know, promoting the, the, the relationship. Well, you know, they're, you know, they, they bloom a little faster than, than the, you know, than the next fall for trees. And so, uh, you know, maybe that's normal. I don't know. But we definitely talked to our boys about. And we're not going to be passive about that. And you're going to explain to her. She can imagine there was a 12-year-old on the other line telling a little girl, you know, hey, look, I appreciate you calling. I appreciate the interest. But when I'm ready to go out with somebody, I'll call. Just to let you know. Well, that's just a horrified little girl. Because Blake delivered it like a CIA agent. <laughs> <laughs> hey, when I'm ready, I'll call you and let you know. But please don't call me, you know. See you. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that little girl. So it just went. It went all over the school real quick. Don't call Blake McJunkin. You know that kind of deal. So I mean, was that safe to say? That was. Yeah, I'll add some color there. Um, yeah, I was in the background going, "Oh man, reject passivity. Oh man, reject passivity." Because he was just caught on the phone. And, you know, those poor guys. That, that most of them, I don't know, but about y'all's, but um, ours were just kind of looking for a way out. They, I mean. He didn't know what to do with this girl. It sounded like, I mean, it's flattering, but it's also kind of the deer in the headlights look. Like, what do I say, Bob? And you don't want to lie, and you don't want to teach her to be deceitful and kind of, you know, trying to skirt those uh, situations. So it gave him a great tool to just say, okay, here's what you say. And so he did, and, and it was somewhat uncomfortable, but it was also a real safe thing to go, okay, here's the answer. And so he could he could respond that way, even though it was a little bit awkward, but it gave him the answer. And you know what? He didn't have to do it too many times. Because like Dad said, boy, once that gets out, who wants to? And you know what? I was thankful. We were thankful because we didn't want little girls calling him. We didn't want girls thinking that, that he was a target. And he soon became not a target. Because if he says, thanks, I'll call you if I'm interested. You know, it didn't take too many times to give that answer, and girls weren't calling. So it it may be kind of awkward, but I really think it helped him. It it saved him a lot of awkwardness for the next six years. You know, through high school, and when he was ready, he asked the girl out. He's senior prom. By the way, it's 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 back to Deuteronomy 7. When you lie down, when you rise up, it's living life. So we're literally there with them on the phone. We're literally there with them saying, here's what I say, Dad. It was pregame. Okay, so now let's go through it. Like, you know, how would you well, you know, like I said, the liver came off like an agent. <laughs> one, one comment in regards to that, you know, about, because um, when I went through raising a modern-day night with, with our son, Ryan, um, the first thought was, what about the girls? <coughs> But the neat thing, too, is the girls see how dad is raising his son. And things like rejecting passivity, accepting responsibility, leading courageously. They then start to formulate in their mind, well, that's what I'm supposed to look for in a guy. Exactly. You know, my girls won't be calling other boys. Good for you. Because that's not, that's not what God wants. So... I think that's important to, to, to talk about as well, is that they will, the girls will learn from kind of what they're seeing. 
Do you do y'all look yeah. at texting in the same way? You bet. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You bet. I think that's worse. So much harder to control, but yeah. Yeah. Um, three passages, guys, that shaped our home. And these these are critical for us. And that is the first one. Probably everybody's heard it, right? Twenty-two six. What? Did just someone guess after I've given you my introduction? How would I look at that passage? What do you think I'm doing? Can anybody can anybody guess? Military training. So I said, what's my job as a coach? My coach, as a coach, you look at the skill you got. When the guys walk out in the field, and they're all, they're all different shapes, sizes, and speed. You figure it out, and you play them according to their position. It's the same thing in the passage. What are they gifted to do? Discover their gifts. The direction they should go is not Dad's definition of erecting this bowling lane and say, I'm going to squeeze you down the road towards attorney or doctor or whatever. It is, it is what are their gifts? And then and my idea was, God, you gifted them. You made them this way. And all the way down to their athletics. I told Blake when he was a little kid, you're always going to have a 70s number. You're always going to have a hand on the ground. And you're going to be backing up one day doing this. We had a lot of fun with that. But it was because we could see his gifts early and then and then moving towards that. Could they see? Yeah, he's a great singer. Has great pitch. Had him, had him do choir. Let him, let him do that. He's a very diverse kid. So the goal was find their gifts and then, then like a good sheepdog or a good, a good cowboy working cows, man, we're just herding them down that lane. And we know that as they get and start doing something, they experience success, the flame starts to burn on its own inside. So, man, I'm passionate about seeing that passage as a way to understand for you to discover their gifts. You become the seed of that boy and figure it out. And don't squeeze him in. I could be the world's worst. I could absolutely be the world's worst to find all my identity in the kid's performance. And for whatever reason, God gave me grace here and a great wife to remind me not to do that. Discover their gifts, aim them in the direction they go based on their giftedness. Don't play a player out of position. That's what I say. That's what I tell dads all the time. If it was all dads in here, we're talking about sports. Don't play them out of position. Okay? You can't have 10 quarterbacks. There's only going to be one that's going to be the most gifted guy on the field at playing quarterback. Okay? Thanks, man. Discover their gifts and cultivate them as the idea. Deuteronomy 6, 6, 5, and 9 was the other one. Is It started with Kathy and I, loving the Lord our God with all our heart. That was, we've got to set the example. As mom and dad, we have got to be the example knowing that they're going to be looking at us. Okay, so it, it, it starts with us setting the example. And I've said, how do we do that? It's teaching them. It really is teaching them. And the way we taught them, I'm going to just expose myself. I didn't have a quiet time disciplined every week. Kathy's better than that today with one of them. But I didn't have a quiet, hey, 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 classroom, come here and sit at the table for the devotion. I wouldn't be. I did most of my stuff at home. But what we did is we made it life. We made it life. As we experienced life, we moved into and talked scripture. We taught things. We turned to movies, social events. Everything we could was an opportunity to ask them, hey, what would you see today? What was that like? So, man, it really is. When, when, it, when I look at that passage, I look at it, it it's really God saying, from the time they are awake to the time they go to bed, is your it's your class, that's your classroom, Kirk. Which, which, which you're going to hear us say later, it turns into quantity of time, not so much quality. Uh, I'm a big, I'm a big believer of that. I'll give Colin that. Um, a, a great thing that, that we did have a lot of fun with at the dinner table, and it goes back to elementary days. But 
it's carried us through today. I mean, still today with Lakeville, we'll do it. And that is just go around the table and everybody speaks, and it's kind of that idea of what was the best part of your day or the worst part of your day. And in elementary, it was what was your sunshine, what was your cloud. And so we just kind of stick with that. And everybody, it's amazing how much you'll learn from your kids with that one question. And, you know, find out the, their worst part of the day, maybe somebody made fun of them or something that maybe never never would have come up if we hadn't asked that, that kind of question. Or, um, and that kind of became... High-low now. Yeah, that's true. We call it high-low yeah. once they got older, sunshine clouds. We think we'd change the name of it so you still <laughs> participate. But that's great. What was your catch and fumble? There you go. <laughs> that is a good one. Catch, catch something to do with That's exactly right. Yeah, that is a good one. That's something you want to do. Find your analogy, by the way. Make your footnote. Find your analogy. For those of you musicians, I would make an idiot of myself trying to come up with a musical metaphor. But, uh, and, yeah, I bet the folks at ACU know how to, know how to do that. Ephesians 6 4. Yeah, you can sing, can't you? Y'all musician? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah, I've never been around a body of people who can sing better than the Church of Christ. That was stereotyping, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Hey, we're one of our Ephesians 6 4. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. This one's huge, guys. Um, I was exasperating my oldest for a number of years until he laid in bed one night with tears. And I'm trying to talk to him, and I can tell he's shut down. I'm saying, Kenny, what, what's, what's the matter? I'm digging, man. I am pushing. That's kind of me. Well, what's going on? What, what, what is it? He said, Dad, every time I tell you my heart or tell you what's going on, and this is through tears, he says, you tell me how, how I shouldn't feel that way or how I'm wrong. I've just explained away his emotion, or I've explained away. I, I didn't listen. didn't listen to his heart. That passage is about exasperating your children. That exasperated my kids. That night forward, I determined I was never going to exasperate him again. I was always going to listen. And no matter what he said, it was never wrong. There wasn't a right or wrong. It was his view. It was his feeling. And I had to own it. The next part of that is Matthew. You'll see Matthew 5 there was about reconciling. was about reconciling. No, I'm sorry, you don't have that. I wrote that on that. Excuse me, I see the eyebrow. I did this later last night. The other passage which you write is Matthew 5. What's it, 22? What is it, sweetie? Excuse me, 23 and 24, about reconciling to someone before you come to the altar. To me, I changed that verse to say reconcile with your son. So for me, one of the things, if I could say, what is two things that I've done well as a dad, one of them would be that I'm asking for forgiveness. The next thing out of my mouth is, Blake, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me for talking over you, for making, you know, for explaining to you how you were wrong and dad's right? And that still goes on today. I make a ton of mistakes, guys. The only thing I think I do well on the back side of that is go back and and clean it up, clean the mess up when I'm hurt. And they're just like a great... Anybody, anybody ever been raised around a cow, a cow dog? A blue healer, an Australian shepherd, any of them? Unbelievable. Like a lab. You could train a lab or train one of those dogs, and one day go out and shoot it with a shotgun, and that dog's going to come back to you and sit by your side. You could kick it, you could push it out of the car, you could roll it off the top of the back of your pickup, and that dog runs back to you faithful like you can imagine. 
I'm not saying your kids will do the same, but I'm saying that for me, the picture was the same, that with the apology, the ownership, the asking for forgiveness, the boys let me back in. Okay? Again, guys, I want to give you a picture. You know who you're dealing with here. Someone that, you know, loves West Point Annapolis more than, you know, more than, than you know, the alternative. Uh, so that, anyway, that's, yes, ma'am. Um, I think one of our struggles is Scott um, is harsher on the family. Like, so he'll come down hard on him and he'll kind of run to mama. And, you know, it's that fine line of. What do you do? It's kind of like I want to back Scott up. At the same time, I think he's so harsh sometimes. You know, we're just not on the same page all the time with yeah. that. Yeah. He does that right line or whatever the word is. You know, makes him very angry. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like it's hard to balance that and be on the same page. I just wondered. What? I mean, I don't think Blake's a strong-willed child, but with a strong-willed child, you know, it's almost like that fine line where Mama's just got to back, you know, back down and just let Daddy handle that, you know, or... Kathy, tell him what... Just, uh, yeah, I mean, you definitely want to um, complete your husband and, and help him by later after when the kids aren't around, um, you know, in a loving way, you know, just got to really saw the, you know, the good thing, whatever he was teaching him or talking about, but can I just tell you what I saw later, and, you know, your son was crushed, he was this, you know, I think it really hurt his spirit, whatever, so that you add that dimension that God intended to add through the feminine side, you know, to that, and you don't, don't ever, ever want to do it in front of kid and dad because then you're undermining dad's authority and his position. And even if he's doing it wrong, I mean, unless he's in grave danger, um, you just don't do it at that time. And I've made that mistake, you know, too many times. But the biggest thing is holding up dad, you know, as the authority and um, respecting him and respecting his position and even with the kids you know even if I think some aspect of it was wrong I'm going to try and find whatever was right about it to um, encourage them and even if it's just I know your dad loves you and I know that he wants what's best for you even if everything he did in that instance wasn't wasn't good but just trying to keep building dad up in their eyes and keep respecting dad in their eyes and helping them respect He always gives one thing she does well. She always, she sends it back to me. She'll send it back to me and and the message can be here's here's what if I could if I could step into your home and give your kid give you the counsel as a mom, I would say if dad has made a promise that it's always safe for you to come and confront me. That's the other thing I've got agreement with the boys. You can always confront your dad. And you can always open up with dad is it safe. That's code in our home for are you in an emotional place where you can hear from your 12-year-old, 13 to 19, whatever the age range is, when, when, is it safe for me to say what's on my heart? That's code for me to shut up that what I'm about to hear is probably feedback on my behavior. So Most of it you don't want to. I mean, a lot of it that we're hearing now, we really don't want to hear any of it. I mean, it's hard to listen to it, but you have to. And um, I want, you know, I want him, I want them to be able to have that. But at the same time, you know, I need, I guess, I need to 
just keep sending it back to God. Yeah. yeah. And send it back with the language that, hey, Dad, I'm hurt or wounded or um, whatever. That, that let Scott know that what's about to happen is the kid's going to tell me how he feels as a result of my actions. Okay? And you know, I, it's critical that you cultivate that safety and that dialogue with them at this age. And we'll talk about that in a second. What do you say, Scott? Uh, well, and back to Sally's point, too, I think it's critical, and you, I think you mentioned it earlier, that mom be on board with that definition, with that biblical definition of manhood. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that, you know, she knows that... I caught the eye roll. Yeah. <laughs> I am. But she's heard me say, accept responsibility, reject passivity. I think it's the reject passivity that gets her, just because she doesn't understand. <laughs> y'all, y'all, y'all have a good community group where... where good. Good. That's a good place to flesh out the, that definition. Right. And, and then, but I think it's critical that, that, that your spouse be on board with what it is that dad's trying to teach. It's not dad's philosophy. I make as many mistakes as the next one. But again, it's God's definition. Yeah. Yeah, if I had to use sheet music or, or football, if you're not singing and playing off the same, like the music thing. Yeah, if, you can, if you're not on the same music, sheet, sheet music, it ain't going to work. Right. I'm with you. Yeah. I think one of the first things Kathy said, though, was um, in coming together, you, you said, you know, as your role as a wife, you're you're the helper. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's not always just, this is what Dad says and that's it, period. But y'all are coming together and deciding, you know, what would the Lord have us do for our children. That's right. So there is Beforehand. very important, mm-hmm. or even after if somebody's blown it, you go to a different room and you discuss that and then yeah. you have a new strategy for next time, but I mean, there is a helper. Mm-hmm. And she also gets in my, when it's over and I've screwed up, one time, to tell you, uh, Blake uh, developed that junior high eye roll. <laughs> the, the, it's like, dumbass parents. You know that kind of deal? <laughs> I came up from around the table and said, come here, son. And, and I thought he was delayed getting around the chair, and I lifted him. Put my hands on him and lifted him and drug him through to get this small gap. And Kathy jumped up. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, well, you know, it's, you know, because dad was out of line. Dad's emotion had already gotten away. I had no business, you know, putting my hands on him at that time. Uh, you know, just lift it. Come on, come on, son. You know, do one of those kind of deals that I hate to admit. But she stood up and, and, and looked at me like, Stop! This isn't this isn't it. And uh, went away. Came back. Blake and I went to the room and and, rec- and reconciled. I had to own that. But that's her role. And she's also coming back later to say, um, "You messed up. You were out of line. Too hard. Standards too high. You're expecting too much." And then uh, and she has the permission to say, "You need to clean that up." Mm. I was just going to clarify what Kathy said. You got to see the breakdown. And I, I guess you're talking about Blake. Yeah. Um, but you got to see the breakdown. But if the dad doesn't get to see the impact that he's having on the kids, she was saying she's got to come tell you. Absolutely. You know. So I think that's you know if if he's coming crying to you, you you've got to come. You've just got to keep telling dad you're not seeing it, but here's what's happening. And that's behind closed doors. Even yeah. even bigger picture, guy, girl, I mean, boys, girls, either one. From day one, we were really um, purposeful about not letting our kids play one parent against the other. 
matter what the circumstances, what the sex. And so for boys, um, especially these junior high days when, when dad really, you know, you're transitioning from, you've had little two, three, four, five, and they've kind of been mama's boys. I mean, they're still boys, and they may be rough and all that, but they're, you know, they've been kind of under your skirt for several years, and now at about 11 or 12, they're really, they're really moving under dad and, and getting out from under mom. And so we, we want to protect more, and we kind of want to keep those sweet days of when they were little and would sit with us and maybe, you know. So that's kind of our tendency as women, but we really want them to grow up to be men, and we want them to be responsible and not passive and... Um, because all those things, um, there, there's biblical reasons behind that. I went back because I was, I was just asking her last night. I said, well, what if somebody, you know, kind of wants to know, well, why is that your definition? Well, without going into it right now, you know, not to pub the book, but it's all biblically, you know, backed up. I mean, rejecting passivity goes back to Genesis 3, and where was Adam? So there's scriptural stuff behind each one of those um, points in, in the definition. And so be grounded in that. Know that so that you can give an answer for your definition. And it's not just something that we've kind of pulled out of the sky. Yeah. The uh, next part's critical. What parents should know and do. Uh, the passage where we're encouraged to know well the condition of our flock. All right, now we're moving into what I call, this is just the reality stage. I've said there, guys, that they're now beginning as they move. This is We're, we're right on the edge of puberty for most boys. Um, and so you're right on the edge of where their, their theology and their life may be pretty confined to... They're, maybe you're in private school, maybe you know, growing up in your church, maybe they've been in church camps, now they're surrounded, now they're getting ready to step into a little bit larger school, if it's public school, even private. Uh, getting ready to go to a larger school, we all know that the wheels are now starting to come off as to what they see. We, we noticed in elementary school, um, not a lot of conversation, they didn't see cigarettes. They, they heard bad language from one or two kids. There was not sexual activity. Uh, maybe one or two boys that that you know had dropped and and started having hair and other things and 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 starting to change. But predominantly, their culture is still even in Plano in our school is still pretty safe, still pretty good, still pretty healthy. So we're right on the edge of that. So we know that, in my view, the theology is going to start to be shaped by their experiences, and I, and that's where I think the key to understand experience is going to shape if you got it. So they may start seeing life, and I even struggle with this as an adult, but God's big, and, you know, he, he's confined within our little experiences. If, like, if my experiences are good and I'm happy, then, then I'm fine and God's good. But not many of them have run into, at this point, a lot of, you know, perhaps a lot of struggle. So I'm, again, saying predominantly here. Um, yes? Uh, just about theology at this stage is shaped primarily by life experiences. I know that as our kids in public school start to discuss biology and all that, the whole evolution thing starts to come up and your kids went to public school. Is it, is it in junior high when that starts to happen? A little bit. My older son went to private and my younger school... Well, sixth grade, which is middle school in Plano, but yeah, it's... How, how did you... I don't know. How do you deal with that? 
What's your question? Well, I can put it. Did, did, did you like know when they were learning about it at school, and then bring them home and about say, well, "Here's what we believe." Evolution. evolution. No, no, no. Excuse me, evolution. evolution. Okay. Excuse me, my mind. It's an ongoing conversation from about fourth grade on in our home. Uh-huh. And then when they got to this age, the first summer after seventh grade, I uh, went to Worldview Academy, the oldest did, and we started putting prolegomena and world and on worldviews on them at that age so that they could. Uh, 11 and 12, yeah, 12 years old. What is Worldview? Worldview Academy is uh, to, to camp for about a week long. They had family. Huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Randy Sims runs it and a couple other guys. Bright, bright men. They do a great job of taking very, very complicated uh, uh, you know, issues in, in, in matters of theology and worldview and putting them down into a package that can be delivered to middle school kids. And uh, great, great tool. Great tool. But yes, we dealt with that in the home. And we do try to do what we can to, to expose them to origin stuff. Real key, guys, for... Go ahead. Just keeping the communication open, and to me, it was really um, a fun opportunity to see how God worked through, um, you know, their conversations at home, and then them taking those, some of those ideas, and, and giving them the courage, you know, just encouraging them to speak up, but but also teaching them how to be respectful and kind, and not, you know, be a trying to catch somebody or trying to be ugly or, or be smart aleck, you know, yeah, an attack. And, um, in our sixth grade, they uh, do kind of a world religion um, course in um, social studies. And so that was, you know, also a lot of controversy, or a lot of, not controversy, a lot of exposure there to other religions and um it was really uh, interesting for one of our boys' experience to do that. He was very offended the way they presented the Christian faith because um, even in just their, their film clip selection was something that was very stereotypical of a minister that was nothing at all what their experience had been, his experience had been. So I found that really interesting that that was so offensive and that's not Christianity, you know? And so great conversations. And, and so looking at those potential problems or, or fearful, you know, scary things, seeing them as opportunities and just empowering your kids to to talk about that, bring it home, tell us what you, you know, what did you talk about today and, and how was the evolution conversation and um, I'm substituting now and I'm up there and, and it's really interesting to hear feedback from the teachers of um, my kids that have, that have gone through their classes and I know how y'all feel about evolution <laughs> you know when I send you everything I'm like oh no you know so it's, it's just great because you're always having those conversations I want to add something to that um, I have a friend that's named Kelly Shackelford, who works for the Free Market Foundation, and uh, Kelly's fit a lot of a bunch of those cases and that kind of thing, and so you know, also another thing that you can do is say, hey, just so you know, there's more than one view of this, and there's actually laws being passed that allow us to be able to speak about our Christian beliefs in school, and there's people fighting for that out there, and this, this is what they're doing, and so you can start to kids that, you know, even though you care one time, uh, you can oftentimes bring other things up and don't be afraid.
afraid to speak your mind and then act courageously in that whether you're, you know, uh, a girl or a boy. Right. That. Yeah. So you have those rights. Uh, and and uh, I think that's important to recognize. And see, in that forum, when you need to at times, I mean, I remember having a student, I mean, a uh, teacher conference, and one of the teachers was kind of speaking derogatorily, derogatorily about my um, seventh grader, and I just had to stop and say, oh, no, no, you know, she can talk about that. She's not trying to be different, you know, just standing up for that kid and helping the teacher understand that, no, it's okay for her to ask those questions. It's okay for her to stand. You know, so being there, being present, just, yeah. Can I ask y'all something to talk about at some point in time? Um, you know, you were talking about the, the boys separating from their moms. I mean, we sat in the other room uh, an hour ago, and they said also at this time the girls are separating from their moms. Well, that leaves dad in a great spot. <laughs> but how does mom how does yeah. mom deal with that? That's a pretty sucky spot to be in. You're saying that they're starting to separate physically, emotionally from mom. The, bo- the, the boy. You said the boys separate from the mom. You know, they've been very, very close. And then in the, in the other room, they said the girls separate from the mom, and the dad is okay. the most important influence for them. Well, I miscommunicated then um, because the... Um, a, I don't want them separating from Kathy at all. Uh, now, physically, is there separation? Yeah. They, those boys sit in duck blinds with me. They hunt. They go to rodeo, livestock shows. We do a lot of stuff. Home Depot, I, I usually make them. Home. Saturday, you gotta, come on. One of you got to go. It's your punishment. you got to hang out with Dad. Let's go. <laughs> so we're going to learn about hardware today. So we go, to, we go up there and do that kind of stuff. And it's kind of fun. It's a joke. But they're going to send back with mom, and and uh, I'll let you answer. But I don't want them separate from Kathy. I don't want them losing that touch. Uh, now I do the same with her, sweetie. That sarcasm doesn't work, or whatever, you know, circle back or or in time. But um, I'll let you respond. But I don't. I will not promote that any form of separation because with boys, it looks like it, it can be disrespectful, and that's the struggle in our home is that. Do we respect mom? Is she as smart as dad? You know, is she is you know kid, you know because she he's not he's the authority and he does this stuff in his container. Mom does this and that's not as valuable. That's that's an old you know sexist thing. That's that's the way I think you can raise a boy that does not respect his wife one day. And I was raised a little bit like that. So I'm trying to be very sensitive to saying, uh, hey, her voice is my voice. And if she says it, so she didn't have to yell at anything else. When Dad gets home, yeah, do I import discipline? Yeah, they, they, they all got in. They all know what horse reins are and leather belts and other stuff across the rear end. The boys did certainly, and the girls did for a while. Um, but they, 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 there's, I will not let them separate. I don't want them separating from Mom. Does that address the question? Uh, I think no, more. Not exactly. No, I think she knows the answer. Well, <laughs> I think it's maybe just a semantic thing. Um, not literally like mom has nothing to do with them anymore. I mean, obviously, mom plays a big role. But I think that mom has taken such a major role from newborn to, you know, late elementary. And we're just there with them. I mean, I just and there more hours of the day and just, you know, my hand is on their pulse, you know, I mean, I, I know the flock. 
and dads are out of the house and they're coming in you know at dinner and just a few hours of the day and all that so middle school late elementary school is when dad needs to start stepping up and spending more time and, and having a bigger role in with the kids than maybe we have had for the first 10 years. Not to say that he's not present in the 10 years, and it's not to say that mom's not present in the last 10 years or eight years. What I'm hearing you saying is my personality is a lot like yours, and I've been authoritarian kind of person. I come in like a mad dog sometimes, and he's the one going, okay, okay, you know. So what I'm hearing is I need to pull back for this boy, yeah, and let him do it. You know what I mean? Well, more, yeah. I mean, yeah. You know. Well, and, and what you may be hearing both over there and over here, and in, in, in general, with books like *Raising a Modern Day Night* or whatever, it's probably a response to so many dads checking out, jetting, mm-hmm. you know, plus other things. Good. It's almost an overcompensation, uh-huh. you know. Uh-huh. And dad, you got to step up and do something. And it's not to minimize the role of mom at all. It's just elevating the value of dad because it's been devalued so much. Yeah. And it's not to overwhelm you dads. You know, all of a sudden you're hearing, I gotta do boys and girls and work and Well and I think I I have a twelve year old and a seventeen year old boy, so I'm really in the thick of you know, my boys are looking to dad. They are really, really looking to dad for the role modeling and all that and what, where I kind of landed, it was a morning period for me because I'm not in, I don't feel like I'm as active and I'm not at their schools and I'm not, you know, all that. But what are, where God was really just kind of whispered to me is, okay, Stacey, they are still looking to you for what kind of wife that they're going to end up with. They are watching you and how it is that you're treating your husband. And um, that is your, that is how you can love them and mother them really well right now is to keep that marriage strong and keep those values um, and respect your husband because I'm kind of a strong-willed one too and Kyle in the past has been a little passive but he's grown so much in leadership and stuff and as I just step back and let him do it and just that respect and, and, and keeping our marriage strong I think is really kind of my biggest role for my 12-year-old and 17-year-old boy right now. Question right here. Um, I took a class, it was Boys the Second Decade, so 10 to 20, and what they said was that during the second decade, it's when the mom turns the volume down, the dad turns the volume up, that women can't teach these boys to be a man, because we're not men. It has to learn from the dad. The man has to teach, the dad has to teach the boys to be the men. Women can't do that. Those first few 10 years, that first decade, we're the nurturers. The women are the nurturers. But that second decade, they're learning to be men. They're learning to be boys, and women can't teach that. And they also said, which was really kind of eye-opening, is that if you have a male child, a son, that's disrespectful to the mom or disrespectful to other women, they're not spending enough time with dad. Because men shape that behavior and, and teach what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, and other men in their lives. So if you've got a kid um, and, the, and he's not getting enough exposure to dad or and other men. Or dad's a knucklehead. Yeah. <laughs> or dad's a knucklehead. Well, that would be true. Yeah. Then you can, you can, but there are other men who can also 
fulfill that role, and, and they teach appropriate male behavior because yep. women can't do that. But what women yep. can do is affirm that appropriate male behavior. Absolutely. Yep. Can't teach if they can affirm it. And that's the shift is yeah. from treating them like a little boy to treating them like a young man. Right. Kathy does not let, and I, I better get on to her, but I do, I, 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 if I were to get on to her, I would say you do not take disrespect from your boys. You, you, you don't, it's Barney fighting. Barney never did a thing because he's a powerful guy, right? He, he had one bullet, right? And Andy carried it. So, and, and there's a great show on Andy Griffin where, he, where Andy makes Barney face his fears and go out and arrest a guy setting up, selling vegetables or something out on the road outside Mayberry. And he has to help him understand it's the badge that makes you who you are, not, not your stature as a man. Because Barney's driven 135 pounds. Buck, you know, buck and a quarter, he's not going to do nothing, okay? Uh, but it was bad. So same with Kathy, you've got the authority. Don't let them treat you with disrespect. Well, I, I want to capitalize a little bit on the comment that um, one of the things that I've seen uh, as an extension of my family uh, was that the man didn't go back, and when the kids questioned their mother or yeah. dad, yeah. that the dad didn't bring them back together and say, look, you disagree with this? Not only am I going to make you go back and talk to your mother, but I'm, we're going we're to talk about it together, and I'm going to watch how you respond. And if you don't respond correctly, then we're going to sit down and have some more talk about it. Because, And what that did was it fostered a, a disrespect as the man started to take more authority, and, and, the, and the young man started to look to the father more. That separation yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it caused it caused a bunch of grief, and when the kid got to be older uh, into college and that kind of thing, he wasn't uh, as respectful to his mother as he should have been. Yeah, and I, I think that goes both ways. Are there any other questions I can provide answers to that aren't right? Can I answer a question that wasn't asked? Tom, <laughs> um, if we didn't get it, let's get it afterwards. Um, hey, guys, something we've got, to, we've got to do before we get out of here. You've got to know this. It's, it's a statement of the obvious, but right there on that deal is you know what's going on in puberty, right? Is anybody confused about this? Is there anything on that list? Look at it real quick. Anything on that list that doesn't sound right? I took the top few about what the game is, what's going on. And, and this is so critical for boys for us to understand is that there's something about us that says when we start that process, it's almost as like the same hormones that produce man muscles and the other stuff build deep insecurities. Would any other guy relate to that at all? It did, it did with me. It did with the majority of a lot of the guys it, 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 and the kids that I coach and work with and, and have grown up with and even saw it in mine. Deep insecurities. And I've tried to capture or try to make put it on here. Why, I th you know, gathering from other resources as well as my own experience what that's about. But it's critical that I think as dads and moms we understand this, that immediately... We, you know, out of insecurity, we start searching, well, what do we see in middle school right off the bat? You know, I call the game, in our home, it's popularity. The letters that I wrote, the things that I did for them, and again, remember who you're talking to, I did a pregame. I sat down like an intel briefing with the kids, you know, with the boys when they're 12 year, or 11 years old, about to go to middle school, or if it's junior high, 6th grade, 7th grade, and said, here's what you can expect. Number one, the game is popularity where you're about to go. What is that, Dad? That means that kids are looking for their identity 
has defined and compared to all their peers. And what everybody else defines as popular or cool will become the standard by which the other kids are going to try to meet. And what happens is, if you're outside of that, you're going to feel this natural thing inside that's going to create this growing void and this appetite to want to be in over there because that's popular. And what that does, guys, is it starts to cause men and boys to compromise everything they've been taught up to this point. Because they want the approval of this group or this young lady so bad, they will compromise what they do. And why do they do that? They're, we're all searching for significance. I have to write that description. Here's Ecclesiastes 3, what it says about well, What does God say about your identity? So we go back to that. Look at the other ones on the list there. Uh, appear, you know, and then, then we'll go into what are the forms of it. And I'll say, here's some great ones. Appearance, right off the bat. The early risers, the boys that have the man muscles, are going to look different than the rest of you. Their faces are going to mature. Their voice is going to change. Their bodies are going to change shape. They're going to become cool because they've now got a 40 time under five seconds. They can now sing and hit pitches that other people can't, or they can play things. They can physically do things the others can't. They're going to be elevated, and you're going to be down here in obscurity. If it's girls, you guys know that drill. You guys, you guys know that too well. It can become image issues. Same with guys. So how do you know they, they 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 start comparing hair, and so the hairstyle wants to change, the clothes want to change, even athletic gear. In athletics, it's crazy. Nike, Reebok, all these guys make a living of changing shoe forms and helmets and stuff to sell the next one because the parents buy into it and reinforce it, and we go buy it and we we encourage it. And we'll talk about that in a second. We're trying to, we're kind of helping them play the game. The performance thing. Here we go. Performance-based activities, athletic, choir, academic, humor, even sexuality. Their peers are going to define what's cool. Everybody knows that, right? I'm speak, I mean, y'all, no, y'all don't need me to say any of this, right? You, you get it. We all get it. We've all lived there. We've all been it. And, all, and I'm just saying, if you will take the time to drop back into your world at whatever junior high that was and think about the pain and all those things that happened, all I did is take all of that, put it down, organize it, and turn around and give it right back to them and say, here's what you can expect. Now, if your dad does that to you, and then you start to experience over the next two years, what happens to your opinion of your dad? Yes, somebody. Yeah. You know what happens when those coaches say, hey guys, let me give you a tool. Let me show you your stance. Let me show you how to position your feet and your hands. And then you go out and you use it, and it works. What do you do? Thank you. Amy, you transfer trust to the coach. So now what do you do as a player? You're, that coach says anything, man, you're like this. Tom Landry said, what my job is is to make men do what they don't want to do on a regular basis. Okay? So if he can do that by developing trust with them and get them to do things they don't want to do, how do you get guys to run up the hill on, you know, on D-Day, June 6th? They've got to have a passion. They've got to be trained. They know what they're doing. A lot of it has to do, they transfer trust in their training and other things. So guys, get in front of them and tell them what to expect and what puberty is going to be like and how bad it is. They quit, they stopped having showers, all right? I'm going to, you're not going to lie, you're just making some of you uncomfortable. Junior high, you go into the shower. What do you think happens? Okay? Yeah. Yeah, there's, remember the comparison thing? Well, now they wear sliders. 
in the shower. Yeah. What do you think's happening? What do you think happened in the seventies? I was late bloomer. Let me give you a negative. I hope I turn that off. Bald eagle. Why? No hair. You think it wasn't painful? Hey, what do you think my response was? All right, I'll whip your ass. <laughs> no, that, that's what I did. I was angry. You hurt me by making fun of me. I responded out of anger. So, yes, you've gotten a lot of fistfights in junior high. I guess guys were physically more developed. Well, All right. Now we can yeah. now get to take pictures of them in the showers on the yeah. cell phone and then post them on the internet. Yeah. So if you think so, the whole show is from the 70s. Yeah. Um, Ladies, if you don't understand this, you're missing it. In the, in the male world, this, this was this pretty big. Okay? So I had to tell them, guys, you know, your day is coming. But let me tell you this. In about three years here, and I call them the transitional years, and that's what I call this called a lecture to, to the boys. It's, it's the transitional lecture. It's the transitional years. Here's what's going to happen. Here's like, and I go over the next three years with them, and I go through these topics. I go through appearance. I go through performance. I even talk about rebellion. It's another form of what guys do in response to it. And I call it the Fonzie thing. You can see there they'll do anything. Why? Is anybody curious about why rebellion starts in this, this day and age? Does everybody get that? Because it looks cool, it's another form. Everybody understand popularity can be gained on any basis, right? You can be popular for anything. If popularity is the goal, you can be popular for being a screw-up in class, right? Okay? So everybody understands that. The kid that got caught, you know, making out with a girl at McDonald's is a hero, you know, in the, in the playground area, is a hero at school now because he got caught. And he may be in an alternative school, but guess what? He's popular. Because he's brave and he did something. So that's in a male in the in the in the, fl in the male world out there in their culture in public school, maybe even private. He, that's that's your that's hailed as something kind of cool, right? There's stuff like that that goes on. So again, we cover that and we go through it. Um, the last one I put is financial. There's another form of another form of, of coping or figuring out that that's just kind of a good trump card for some kids. It can be their basis of popularity uh, going through this time. Um, also, please understand, it's a birth of insecurities. And David, you, you, you need to ham, ham and egg this with me too. Uh, we are easily wounded in this period of life. Okay, invalidated. Um, we can be invalidated by our parents by getting too much instruction. Um, this is also the time that they'll see early signs of disillusionment with us. This is a time period when boys, um, my dad countered my pain in late arrival with lots of lectures, and, and all it did is reinforce that that uh, that I'm already what I know I am. You know, I'm insecure, I'm struggling, I don't do it well. Uh, went from third, went from starting in athletics to third team on the field. You know. Coming home hurting, uh, can't do anything in the weight room. Can't in you know, classrooms even a struggle. Girls aren't paying attention. Everything's the whole my whole world's been blown apart. And every time I'd go to him and try to say, Dad, I get about a sentence into this. What do you think happens behind that? Is about 30 minutes of why I shouldn't feel that way and 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 other ways to counter it. So as a boy, I retreated. I couldn't go to him. It wasn't there. All right? So it's wounding. I'm easily scared. You know, again, I don't know what it is about us, but we, we can be easily scared. 
um, if we're raised as Christians, guys, it's so counter-biblical, it's so counter-cultural to, to, to ask when, when Blake goes up to school and he's trying to, to, to live with uh, godly wisdom and follow Christ and, and uh, follow his instruction. No one's patting him on the back. I don't know what happens at Trinity or, or Paris Day School or, or Covenant or Providence, but I mean, maybe there's more reinforcement there, but there certainly wasn't where he was. So it, it took a lot of courage. So uh, it was a little bit scary for him. A little bit scary for him. And the other thing for us to know, if you don't already, is it's difficult for us to know. Um, as we start to hurt and, and go through things, um, it's real difficult for you to know. And I, I have in my notes here, this is where I, I call digging for gold. And what that means is, in, in my notes of lifetime of how to raise my boys, is I know this is where I dig. Is I want to know on a regular basis, real frequently, what's going on, how's school going. And my goal is to find out, have you been hurt? Emotionally. Not so much physically, but emotionally. How's it going? How the coach, you know, so so guess what? How does that work out? 19, my son's 19, down here at SMU. He's got coaches and they had one die in the spring and things are being changed around the coaching staff. And so it's, it's kind of unstable. He, at 19 years old, I can still say, man, how do you feel about Coach Gans dying and the new coach you got? How's it going? Well, he tells me that how much has changed. And, you know, Dad, I figured out the thing you were talking about, that coaches are your friends in high school and college is business. Not so much. How you doing, man? Anymore? It's more about it's more about what you're doing for us because it's a job. Well, emotionally, there's there's still some hangover from there. There's still some need to talk and process that because it's his first time, even though he's 19, to kind of come to this disillusionment that it's not a little boy's game anymore. That it's a job and they're going to treat you treat you that way. So it's difficult to know. But what it does when you dig for it and you find out where and how they've been hurt, dads, and you pursue that, and moms, and you all get into that, there's just they're in, they're going to be insecure. These things are going to happen. Are they difficult to repair? My answer is yes. Um, is go ahead. On, on digging for gold. Yeah. Uh, I'd say one of your best tools for that, your your pan or your pick or whatever it is, is exposing the own emotional state of your your life when you were their age and mm-hmm. in your current state too. Authenticity Perfect. in yourself will model for them how to be authentic. So telling your boys your story of bald eagle is a way to set them up to tell you how they feel uh, in the locker room. But if you don't do that, if, if there's an air that dad's got it all together and his life's okay and everything's fine and if you're telling them it's going to be fine but it's not, you know, that, that's that's how you set them up. So you can't just asking a million questions isn't going to open them up. Right. You've got to be open yourself, and I think that's hard for a lot of men and yeah. a lot of dads. And when I see issues in, in yeah. boys, a lot of times it's because of their dads' issues. Yeah. I'll share this with you guys. It's it's embarrassing too. Um, but as David said, thank you, David, so much. It's critical. Um, the the questions can be. Um, like they're getting interviewed or grilled. So you, you do want to make sure, dads, that you're sharing your example. Uh, but I did tell the story of that one. Um, I, I told him, I told Blake other stories where guys threatened me and I backed down and all kinds of things that were, that were really humiliating. But it, it let him know, as David said, it reinforces, uh, your goal is safety. You want them to be honest with you to tell you. So it's got to be safe. And as David said, it begins with you leading out to say, 
Here's what he goes. They, they, they see their dad today, guys, like you see me. Their image of me is the stature of a man that looks like a guy that, that society says played football and they like that as boys, right? They don't see what I was and where I came from. And so to share that, to what share that builds trust on one Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. So is the goal, I realize it's probably you know, a little bit of both, but um, the goal then in doing that, in fleshing out their their emotions, is that just to train them as men to be men who can recognize and flesh out their emotions, or is it just to like, step dig deeper and really understand what they're going through and helping them to get through that day and that emotion and that? It's both, but I have a third one. I am, I am helping them with the future to learn to talk at an emotional level and not be afraid of that. But for me, at this age, it was transfer of trust. If I had to put one theme of this whole thing, is I wanted to learn to be able to say, at 11 to 12, Dad, I'm hurt. Here's how. Why? Because I know at 15, 16, 17, 18, there's, that there's still more to come. And for Dad, it was, for, for this Dad, I wanted, I wanted, call it arrogant, call it whatever, I wanted to be the one that they trust and say, I, I want to be your dad. Nothing you can do ever keep me from loving you. But I'm a resource. My job is to live junior high and high school over again and try to pass on to you the wisdom so that, so that perhaps you make wiser decisions than I did at this age. And if you don't do things, and you're going to say at the bottom of this outline, there, there's things there. As I've said, things that can happen here can become life, can become the birth of a lifetime of struggle. See also alcoholism, drug addiction, body image, image issues, on and on and on. I think they start here. So I wanted to transfer of trust. So my answer to your question is I'm looking for transfer of trust in all these conversations in both me and Kathy. Yeah, another word for that is security. Right? That's normal. Uh, it's okay and I'm with you. Okay. No. Uh, I'm, and and I just, you know, some things I wrote down when we were talking was it's everybody in this room understands what it's like to be in junior high. The goal isn't to tell them, yeah, I know. It's to relate to it, to relate to specifically what they're going through. So it's understanding versus relating and then fixing, which Kirk, you'd probably say that you have a tendency to want to fix whatever they're feeling or feeling versus just entering into it with them and giving them that security of knowing that they're not alone. Junior high is like living your life standing on a waterbed, right? Every, it's constantly changing and shifting. And just knowing that someone's on that waterbed with you is comforting. Yep. I put in my notes last night that the patterns that are revealed here will be what you deal with in the next few phases of their life. So why do I dig for gold, transfer trust? The next one is I want to discover the patterns of how they cope so that I can help them in the next few phases of their life. Because they will. They, they will. Uh, mine, one of mine turned athletics and performance. That's the way he does it, just like his dad. Yes, sir. Um, you, you wrote in this section on puberty uh, about uh, sexuality. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I want to bring up the topic and upset the apple cart in the room. But the reality is that the masturbation is going to be a real topic, a real issue. Yep. Uh, I mean, I remember in seventh grade, I first heard about it and uh, went to my father and asked him, what in the world? 
Yeah. Is this real? Can it happen? Yeah. That's, that's number six, and, uh, section C. Yeah. Point five. Yeah. Yeah. I call it. I call it self pleasure. On here. Go ahead. We'll talk about it later. Well, we're going to run out of later. Go ahead. But go ahead. But anyway, I guess my my question is, how did you handle that with your voice? No pun intended. Um, just, just, what I wrote, just what I wrote here. Um, just to make sure no no moms or dads have the wolves over over their eyes on this. I led Blake's small group for a while until he was in 10th grade. And then I had another one that I took all the way through. And I pulled every kid that I've had a relationship with, every one of them. I think 7th grade was the latest, maybe 4th grade was the earliest, had seen pornography and masturbated. 100%. So there, there were no exceptions. Anonymous poll, write down your answers to these two questions, hand them in, every one of them. So this is something everybody's thinking about in here. And also, Kirk did a really good job that since you brought that one question up. Uh, he would start pretty early, like 9 or 10. 10 years old. And sit down and say, have you ever seen any pictures? Naked lady, you know, as someone says that, I mean, just kind of keep asking in a lot of different ways because his experience, which is real common across the board, it's usually showing up at fourth, fifth, sixth grade. And so, so yeah, waiting till junior high, you're way past the, yeah. you know, the window. So, um, yeah, he was really purposeful about about having those conversations early on, earlier than junior high. Here's what happened to me. There was a young boy in my neighborhood that was a real neat kid. I'd gone to camp with him. Um, he had several of us spend the night one night. He had started blooming and alerted the rest of us and figured out how to stimulate himself for an erection and wanted to teach us, the rest of us, like it's a toy. And, and, and that, was the way, that was the way they approached it. And I let one of them touch me to figure it out and created so much shame and hurt for the next following years because I could not get over it. It was kind of a homosexual act. Now, the interesting thing is, out of one of those guys that I remember from fifth grade or sixth grade was a homosexual. But it would create a lot of pain. It was a popular topic. I, I knew that by that age, somebody was going to approach my boys with, hey, did you know this? And, and well, only the ones really with puberty could do anything productive. The others were just going to get blisters. And uh, so what I knew is the first guy shows up in fourth grade showing, you know, a red-haired gal at a Playboy in fourth grade in 1970 you know, or whatever it was. So I started asking in fourth grade and started asking this question. If I touched you, wanted to touch you, somebody may ask me, offer, guess what? This year on the lacrosse across team, my youngest one, what's the popular topic of conversation? And it's hail, they're hailed as heroes, masturbation. You guys figured this out yet? Oh, damn, it's the greatest thing in the world. You know, I mean, they're just, Burks and this kid, there's two or three of them that have just think they have found, you know, the, the, the you know, the, the mecca of pleasure. And, and uh, they're, they were eighth grade. Eighth grade, so that's why I started early. And, and it's got to be a conversation, dads, you've got to be having. And I put on here why it's destructive. And if you don't, come on Monday night or Friday night to CR and see what happens 
with that addiction if it's if it's if it's if it's left just unattended and it's just something that identified. I think part of it is being vulnerable too. It's uh, you know is uh, when I was growing up, my dad we had no conversations about yeah. sex and uh, we had zero about it. And, and part of it is being vulnerable and telling your kids that you can relate with where they are. And being able to share stories that, that uh, put them in a, in a position where, whether it's sex or drinking or whatever it is, it doesn't really make a difference what it is. The point is, and also trying to say, okay, you're at this point, and what does it look like when you go through college? And when right. you get out of college, right. what did it look like then? Right. Well, it's not quite so popular to be a guy who's, you know, drunk every night uh, of the week. And so when you when you go through those times where you talk about it, you know, it looks fancy now and you know some people have first drink and never get get away from it. So it's the same it's the same progression for a lot of these things and trying to give them a vision of what that looks like. You got it. Yeah. There's another hand over here. You were next, I think. I just wanted you to clarify that a lot of Christians today that I talk to right there's a pretty significant percentage that might not even view masturbation as a sin. That's right. Number one. Number two, there's a pretty prevailing view that all men have done it. There, there really is no men who have not done it. And one of the things that's encouraged me is that I know five men who've never done it. And they started serving the Lord at a young age and their whole lives they've never done it. And that's encouraging to me. Not be, you know, I, I might my not be but I want them to know that there are men out there never And I went to college with three of them. They had served Christ from a very young age. They've always had a passion for the Lord. One of them's a pastor here in Dallas at another major church. Yeah. So there is a, a bigger vision. It, in my personal view, it is a sin. And not every man uh, is going to do it or has to do it. It's not, it's not a given. Now, uh, I also have to admit to my son, unfortunately I'm not in that category. But anyway, I just, just thought you might have some comments on the curve. I think there's such a distorted view out there, even among Christians, about that issue. Yeah, what I did with the topic is to say, guys, most of the time, certainly, uh, I was in college before I realized that it, it could be reality. And um, I've, I've sat out mine and said, let me, let me give you both sides of what you're going to hear men that you respect argue on both sides of this topic. And... Uh, I always season it, this is me, with this is God's best. God's best is that, that you know, the best my view, this is God's best. I cannot say from Scripture where else it's sinful. What can I say is that what goes on in the heart can be sinful. And motivation to self-pleasure, motivation or, or the idea of lust and the connection there. There's typically connection with pornography and other things. It's typically rooted in control, a lot of it. That, that, that the next step over that pornography and those next step become for men uh, such addictive behavior that's destructive. And I go through it all with them and say, let me take this picture forward and uh, tell them examples that I leave guys unnamed that have lost their homes, job, and wife. 
over sexual addiction that began with this unfettered uncontrol of, you know, um, with childhood masturbation as soon as they went into puberty. So I did, that's the way I handled it is, uh, I'm like you, I can't look them in the eye and say I haven't, um, but I can share my experience and struggle and, and how I have combated that going forward and how destructive it is. Uh, in my life, and, and bring it back. I, I bring it back to the heart, guys, on, on all of this stuff. Where's your heart? Where's your heart? How is this God's best? Um, so I, I don't know if I helped, but I certainly put on there what I've left you guys for the notes is um, it leads to law of diminishing returns and, and an escalating form of need for visual stimulation, and the cycle is destructive, and that's what it becomes, in my view. But I've also heard testimony from guys that have that have said that it was, uh, you know, remedy therapy, um, whether it was a prison camp or whether it was some place where they needed to sleep and could not sleep, and this images of things, you know, that wore them out. And I mean, I've heard men share amazing testimonies that blew me away, I mean, about their life, and then address this question with with an answer that kind of made us all walk away and scratch our head and go, huh, you know, uh, you know, interesting, interesting perspective on it. But I'm careful with that because I don't want to encourage, I don't want to give a kid a, a reason to go, that's it, you know, and then to run off. But yes, ma'am. I, I love what you wrote about it. it I'm, I'm wondering if there, maybe David could help. The, the law of diminishing return and all that, I don't think my sixth grader is going to understand that. Is, do you guys use any metaphors or any kind of language to talk about it? And it's not going to be me, it's going to be my husband, but I'm taking it from him. <laughs> Go ahead, David, you, you might have better information. Can I ask that question again? Okay, he, he wrote about the law of diminishing return. Um, and I, and I, I understand what that means, but I'm just trying to think do you guys have any? metaphors or any illustrations that you use that, that a seventh grader could understand? When, when I'm talking to kids, you say it till they, till they get it. You, know, you say it till they get it. You you come up, I don't have any one go-to way where my flat say it this way and the kid gets it. It's kind of like every kid's different and whatever clicks with them, clicks with them. So start off with a law of diminishing returns. Tell them what it is, Stacey. Just to be described, or having described that it could happen. It's never enough. Yeah. You use examples and illustrations. Yeah. You go, hey, here's what could happen. Not what's definitely going to happen with you, but you know, you might get bored with that. And then, and then that, and then this, and then it leads to this. And so, I mean, I think that's the best way to explain it. I think of Todd Wagner's sermon on Cheetos. Yeah. You know, what are yeah. Cheetos is okay, but you have thousand bags of Cheetos and you're covered in orange, you know? I don't know. I just, that's a good thing. Tell them like I didn't think you piped it before. <laughs> <laughs> or you're the boss. That was yeah. really what they were young. And along this, along this topic, and I want to get your question, make sure, guys, it sounds silly, but I, I would watch for the disappearance of of moms, your lubricants out of your bathrooms and the smell of a rose coming from a young man's room. Um, and I've heard, you know, as we go through this with boys at youth camp, anything from cream, anything, anything that's slippery becomes, if it migrates into the room, you have permission. I encourage you, look for magazines, go through drawers. Our kids know this is our house. We own it. You're staying here. 
you're temporary. You're going to be here for a while, then you leave. It's our home. I have access to everything. Your room is your place where your room is, your door is closed. I'm going to knock, but I'm going to come in. And when you're gone, we're going to go through your stuff. You need to know that. They all know it. It's, it's, it's our house. It's our room. It, it is safe for you when you shut your door, but it's not private all the time. So have I gone through and looked for porn? You bet you, you, you bet you have. I look in the, you know, the computers are in our bedroom, right there, and one other in the laundry room, and all kinds of protection on them, but they're there for a reason. And so they know dad's on the hunt, and mom's on the hunt, and we're watching. So we had one neighbor that came and had a first boy going through puberty came over and go, you know, I keep going to leave his name on name, and it just smells like, you know, hand lotion. You know, and I did the and I said, Kathy, I'll tell her, you know, you know sure, sure enough, that's exactly what was going on. So ladies, anyway, it was help you understand if that could be a problem, look for, look for those kind of things. Yes, ma'am. I was just making a statement. I had two friends who married me, and a few had and that was my habit, and it, they were in their marriages that they took into their marriages, and they're no longer there. Yeah. And David, you may have heard uh, this, but there's a picture of the self-pleasure that's for girls and for guys, and it's anxiety. When And you you need to look in your kids if they're having anxiousness or, um, you know, performance anxiety or just anything, anxiety. That's what kids use, and that's was even preschool. As a preschool teacher and as a teacher, we saw it in the classroom. Wow. And it's from anxiety. And it's a physical manifestation of being or heard that. There's a lot of different reasons why people okay. do it. Yeah. It's a lot of yeah. Well, sometimes when they're little and I've been messed around. Well, our culture is just, I mean, our kids are being sexualized, maybe not by touch, but by billboards, by TV, by media, I mean, you name it, I mean, it's so glaring, it's so out there, but I mean, our kids that are six, seven, eight are seeing way more than we did, and so just that whole idea of, of awakening that love before it pleases that Sean and Paul have talked about. Man, we want to protect our kids as much as we can from those things, but and, and, yeah, and, our time is up. And looking at a woman <laughs> lustfully, you know, I had a guy tell me when I was in junior high, you know, if, if you can if you can do that without thinking about a woman or without lustful, lusting, do it. If you can do it and think about Fruit Loops, think about Fruit Loops. That was a joke with all my friends is, well, I was just thinking about Fruit Loops later, you know. And, I, and, and it's just, you can't disconnect the two. Right. And I think that's where the argument comes in of going, it's not right. Yeah. Um, it's not what God's designed. It's selfish, yeah. It's just not how it's supposed to be. Got another question and we'll close. Can you touch, touch on this real quick? Yeah. The uh, push as much responsibility on them as minimize the rescue. Just real quick. I mean, I'd like to yeah, these, are big, these are big for us. Guys, we make them, as far as responsibility, anything they want to do, we look right back at them and say, what responsibility are you going to take in this if you want it? That's financial participation to buy cleats, to buy helmets, to buy athletic gear, clothes for school, anything that we're not going to promote popularity, we're going to let them participate in everything. We want them to have skin in the game in every decision. Don't rescue 
We will not go to the school and get into an argument with a teacher if she is not getting along well with our kid. We are going to talk to our son or daughter about how to deal with that teacher. Why? Because later there's going to be another teacher, a boss, a coach, a choir director, somebody in their life who is just going to be a flaming you-know-what, right? And so we're going to say, you're going to learn here that Miss Hatley is not reasonable. Guess what? That's my friend. We don't rescue that. What we do is protect from a bully, emotional, mental, or physical, as far as an adult bully. We dealt with a, different, a bully a different way uh, when Blake was a little younger, but uh, we won't rescue the kids from God's lessons that he did. We think, we look about it, pray about it, Kathy and I agree, gives a chance to let God use the pain of this event to grow them and mature them. We're going to let it happen. We let it happen. But we're right there to say, man, how can I help him a resource? And then they, we talk through it and go through it with them. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, Just real quick, what kind of responsibility that you have to detect your 12-year-old son? What are they? Um, well, um, we I just have a laundry system where everything is folded and put in um, baskets and all of our kids are in their baskets and their clothes up. It's pretty minimum still. And I like what the last guy said in, in the session before about teenagers. You know, a big part of their job at this age is being a teenager. Mm-hmm. I mean, I want them to have responsibility, but that was so good for me to hear because their world... And, and all that they have with school, and if they have any activities, and apparently a church, you know, small groups, so much in their life. And I want them to have the responsibility, but a big part of it is their job is being a human. Or like Kirk would say, your job is yeah, your job is being a help with everything. Hey guys, it's Deuteronomy 7. If you pack to go out of town, they got to carry the luggage downstairs. they got to help me load the car. they help me unload the car. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if your mom brings home the grocery deal with you. Get off your butt and get outside. Well, those were the kind of things I was asking. On yeah. and on yeah. and on. I, did, I will not, I am so afraid of enabling. The world does not need another, you know, uh, enabled male to go out there and be passive and make a lot of money and just make it worse and then proliferate and have other kids and do the same thing to them. I'm not going to put another enabling kid, you know, male in the world. And is they're capable of. Absolutely. They just, they're just sharing everything. Right. They, again, I told you, I went through economic hard times. They had to make sacrifices to make our home work. Yeah, sometimes I feel like a maid while they're sitting and watching TV while I'm yeah. around yeah. exhausted doing their clothes and yeah. washing their dishes. Good question. A couple of keys. I just, I just think of the phrase that kind of summarizes everything that you're talking about. I mean, you feed a kid. Give a kid a fish. You give them a fish, feed them for a day, you teach them how to fish, and feed right. them for a lifetime. Right. That's, our, that's our job as parents, is to teach our kid how to fish. You're all over it. In every area, that's, that's what we do. You're all over it. So, yeah. I'll say real quick, because time's up, and so everybody is going to be leaving if you want to. But um, Kirk did a great job at um, writing our boys um, a letter, kind of um, going into middle school. And he made copies of them, if you guys are interested. He just didn't hand them out yet, but um, one to each of the boys. And it, 
it just gives you an idea. He saved one from somebody that had written, you know, earlier on in his life as something that he wanted to do when his voice came along. So he did. And um, so share that with y'all. Three, three things we've done for you. The one's extra. Thank you. Give us an opportunity. 